Good morning once again. If you would uh, open your Bibles, please, to Genesis 28. Genesis chapter 28, and we will seek to cover the entirety of the chapter together this morning. We're going to read together. I will read for us chapter 28, starting in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May He give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham." Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's, and Esau's mother. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have given us your word, that we have your very communication to us in written form, kept for us, preserved for us by your providential care these thousands of years, translated for us by faithful men seeking to help us understand what you have to say. And here we hold in our hand, in our lap, open before us your very word. I pray, Father, that you would use this word for your great ends, your great purposes in our lives, that you by your Spirit would take this word and do work in our heart. I pray that you would help us to set aside those cares and concerns of what might have come before or what might come after, that we would be able to focus here on your word that you would do a great work today. We, we need you, and we ask that you would do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a, a certain uneasiness that comes with international travel, and uh, not really travel as in the, you know, going on a vacation where you know you're going to be at this resort or you've got your itinerary plan. But when you're moving to a new place, when you go into a new culture, there are various things that are disconcerting. One of the things that was surprising to me that I hadn't really thought about uh, when we moved to Russia was uh, for a man particularly uh, to lose competency. And by that I mean a man knows how to get things done. We know how to get things done in our culture, right? How to, how to uh, you know, if you need to go and have your car worked on, you know how to identify what is, uh, you know, a, a mechanic. And you can find a mechanic. You can find a repair shop. You can get your car worked on. You know how to go shopping. You know how to use the bank. You know how to use the ATM. You know how to do things. 
And one of the things that was shocking for me in moving overseas was that suddenly I didn't know how to do things. I didn't know how to call a plumber. And if I could find the number and I, and I talked to him, how would I even talk to him? Because I didn't have the language yet. Or if I needed to get you know, some, uh, some kind of uh, legal thing taken care of, I didn't know how to do that. You, don't, you just don't know how to do it when you move into a foreign culture. And one of the aspects uh, that was... Um, maybe one that we think of more to the forefront, particularly as we, as we think about um, going to places that aren't really friendly perhaps to Americans or perhaps aren't really friendly to uh, Christians, is, is safety. Who's going to take care of you? I was in a conversation with, uh, uh, with someone recently talking about, you know, when you go into uh, a place like we're sending people to India, and there are places where you kind of need to be on your guard. You need to be aware of what's going on. You need to, you need to be aware that, uh, that there can be danger there. Who's going to take care of you? Well, when we look at Jacob and his situation, he, he is running from his homeland, and he's going to a far country. He's going to Mesopotamia. Yes, it's his, uh, his kind of his family's home and whatnot, but he's never been there, and he's never FaceTimed with them. He doesn't know what it's like there. He's running away, and the reason, of course, that he's running away is is because of his own actions, the ways he has tricked his brother. He's tricked his father, and he's created an enemy out of his brother, and his brother now wants to kill him because he's stolen the, uh, the blessing from him after having tricked him out of uh, the inheritance. And, and so um, he's running to a new place, and you, you get the feeling as he's going that, that he doesn't really know what he's getting into. And as we work through this chapter, you can see that you know, he's grown up, he's spent his childhood, and he's not a child anymore, he's over 40 at this point, but he's, he's spent his life in this context that's familiar. And yes, of course, there are dangers there, many of them he caused, <laughs> but, but there are dangers there in this land, but he's used to them. This is this is familiar place, and he's going into a new place, he's going into a new country, and, and, and God has guarded his family. We've seen uh, from the time that God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and, and into this land that he has protected their family. And even at times when their family is disobeyed, whether it's, whether it's Abraham or, or Isaac or someone else in their family, when they've disobeyed, God has protected them. But now Jacob is leaving that place. Will he be protected when he goes? Will he be taken care of when he goes? And that's, that's really the question that, that is addressed in uh, this chapter. And so we're going to work through, we've got, I've called them Jacob's concerns, really they're uh, maybe more of our concerns, but I've got four questions there that we listed. And the first one we look at is, what about the future? What about the future? I mean, Jacob has received this inheritance. Jacob has received this blessing, but now he's leaving the place that is connected with God. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen in his life? What's going to happen in his future? So we see in verses 1 and 2 that he receives instructions regarding marriage. Isaac calls Jacob this time. Last time Isaac called Esau, and he blessed him. Last time he had wanted to bless Esau, but now Isaac calls Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, where your family is to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. 
it's time to get married, and you need to go and not marry one of these Canaanite women, uh, a woman from the land. Instead, you need to go back to our ancestral land, to the sphere of our family, particularly the family of your mother. Go back there and, uh, and, and marry someone from there. And how, how important is who you marry? I don't think you can overstate how important is that person that you marry. That person will have an influence on the rest of your life. That per person will have an influence on your children, grandchildren, and the rest of your uh, descendants to a great degree. And so uh, Isaac here wants to make very certain that whereas Esau has already taken Canaanite wives for himself, he wants to make sure that Jacob, the one who has received the inheritance, the one who has received the blessing, that make sure he marries the right woman. And certainly it's not a Canaanite woman. Certainly it's not one of these uh, women from the land. And so he sends him off, go get a wife from over there, from the family circle. So very clear instructions are given to Jacob. And what's interesting is he moves on in verses 3 and 4. We see giving of blessing as well, right? He has He's already blessed him in the previous chapter, but this one, he knows he's blessing Jacob. Last time he thought it was Esau, and so it was sort of a mistaken identity kind of thing, but now it's on purpose. And he says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So you see here this, this blessing that Isaac <clears throat> gives to his son. This time his eyes are open. He knows he's blessing Jacob. And, and these are familiar uh, aspects of this blessing. You can see land and seed and blessing mixed up in here. That he is praying, uh, continuing on, may God give the blessing that, was, that God originally gave to Abraham and that Abraham uh, and, and God passed on to Isaac, and now may that same blessing pass on to you, my son. And so we have this blessing given by Isaac to his son. So Isaac sent him, and he went. And then we have a brief little interlude here, a pause, uh, uh, just kind of a, a parenthesis about what Esau is doing on the sideline. You remember the last chapter was a conversation between Isaac and Jacob, and, or Isaac and Esau, and Jacob was on the sidelines, as it were, as Rebekah tells him about it. Here, it's vice versa, but you get the idea that Esau picks up on it. We read in verse 6, now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. So here's Esau's response to his, uh, to his brother receiving these instructions, to his brother um, obeying those instructions. And now what's Esau going to do? He's now kind of on the outside because of his relationship with his brother. We see what has happened there uh, already. And so, verse 8, when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, the Canaanite women he has already married, the two wives he's already taken. Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Isn't, 
Isn't Esau a little bit of a tragic character? Here, it seems like he's trying to win back his father's favor. And so, in that sense, our heart kind of goes out to him a little bit. We kind of we can sympathize with him a little bit. Now, little brother has become big brother, has received the inheritance, has received the blessing, and now uh, the father has given him instructions, and he's obeying those instructions. There, there seems to be blessing that, that, uh, Abraham, uh, that Isaac is uh, pleased with Jacob's decisions, and so now Esau decides he's going to imitate. He's going to do the same thing and see if he can earn his father's favor, and so he's going to uh, take a wife from um, uh, among the family as well. But he, he, he just can't get it right. And so rather than going back to Mesopotamia himself to take a wife, as Isaac had commanded Jacob to do, rather than going back to his mother's family, and that circle back there, instead he goes to his father's family, and particularly his cast-off uncle's family. He goes to Ishmael's family. Remember, Ishmael was, was a son in the previous generation who had been set aside. He was not the inheritor, but that's where Esau goes to take a wife. And so uh, he takes a wife whose mother uh, was Egyptian and whose grandmother was Egyptian. He's making all the wrong moves. And so Esau is kind of a tragic-looking uh, character in this situation. But we see here that the Father's blessing has intentionally passed to Jacob, that, that we're looking into the future and we see that, that, that Jacob has had a blessing prayed over him, that God would bless him as he goes, that, that his father is pleased with him in the steps that he's taking, that he's to go and take a wife uh, from among the good stock back home. He's to, um, he's to follow the Lord in these ways. And so his future is being taken care of. His future looks bright, his future looks good, but that raises a second question for us that we have to deal with, and that is, what about the spiritual? That's, that's the future. And all we've ever seen Jacob deal with is, is the future and, and money and blessing and privilege and, and those sorts of things. We've never seen him deal with the spiritual aspects. We haven't seen him interact with God at all. And so we don't know him spiritually yet. I mean, We've seen uh, what he's done. We've seen that he's willing to lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead. We're not very encouraged about his spiritual condition, but we see in verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he begins the journey. He's going he's to make that trek. It's going to take him uh, some uh, number of weeks, perhaps months. Verse 11, he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And so we see he's traveling. He's on the way. He stopped it. There's no hotel, so he like finds a place, finds a rock as a pillow, lays down, but he still dreams. And we see verse 12, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder or perhaps a stairway set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So here we get our first inkling, our first peek at something spiritual going on with Jacob. So what's it going to be like? He, he has this dream. He's lying there, and he has this dream of a ladder or maybe a stairway. It's a, it's a way to go up and down, and it extends all the way from earth to heaven. That there, It connects the two. 
And it's not only a tall ladder, like it goes up a tall mountain or something like that. It goes right up to heaven, and he can tell because angels are going up and down on this thing. That's the way angels traverse, get between heaven and earth, is by means of this ladder. And it, we don't know the color. We don't know exactly what it looked like. We don't, but it's a way to go up and down, and this is an, an amazing dream. Can you imagine for him? He's traveling, and he's probably worried about what's going to happen when he gets into Haran. He's probably worrying, you know, who he's going to marry. He's worrying about, is his brother going to catch him? He's worried about all these other things, and he's leaving. He's alone, and he's stopped by the way, and he's sleeping. He has this beautiful, picturesque, sharp dream of this ladder that sticks in his mind, and that sticks in everybody's mind. You can picture a ladder going up, not leaning against a building, not leaning against a tree or a, even against a mountain or anything like that. It goes right up to heaven. And you've got angels, you've got messengers of God who are going up and down by means of this ladder. And so this is what he dreams. This is what he sees. We move on. We see in, in verse 13, and behold, the Lord, Yahweh, stood above it. I think the, the Hebrew here is, could be either he's standing above it or he's standing beside him. could be read either way. I think probably the Lord is standing beside Jacob and motioning towards and talking about the ladder and talking about these sorts of things. I don't think the Lord is at the top of the ladder and speaking down from there. But nevertheless, uh, behold, the Lord stood above it, I think beside him would be better, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so we see this blessing that Abraham received, very similar to it. The language is familiar to us because Abraham received this blessing, Isaac received this blessing, and Isaac had prayed that Jacob would receive it, and now Jacob is receiving it from God himself. God saying what he will do for him. He starts off by announcing who he is, I'm the Lord. Yes, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And he begins to make these promises, passing them on to the next generation, passing them on to Jacob. Now, can you imagine being Jacob at this time, that he has, he has wheedled, and he has tricked, and he has played the snake, and he has done every slick trick that he can think of to try and secure for himself blessing and inheritance and position and right. He's done all of those things, and here the Lord says to him, I will do these things. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Familiar language. This land right here that you're taking a nap on, that you're asleep on right now, I will give to you. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. That's new language. Focusing, emphasizing that, that Jacob, you've, you've heard of the blessing your father received. You've heard of the blessing that your grandfather received. And, and it's expanding. It's more than you ever thought. Your offspring are going to spread 
to the four winds. They're going to be spread to the four corners of the compass, filling the land, overfilling the land. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This great blessing given to Abraham and now Isaac and now Jacob wasn't only for them. It was great blessing for them that was to turn into being a blessing for all the families of the earth, including you and me. So he must have been encouraged uh, to receive uh, receive this message, to receive this vision uh, from God. We see in verse 15 that it gets even better. He says, Behold, I am with you. says the Lord to sinful Jacob, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. He who's scared and traveling into a foreign land who's by himself, who's on the run, who has every reason to believe people are trying to kill him, at least his brother. And the Lord says, I am with you. And I will keep you. I will protect you. I will guard you. I will watch over you. Wherever you go, even though you leave this land, even though you go into a far country, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Can you imagine being in Jacob's spot? Jacob who has has used every trick in the book to try and get ahead, and now God makes him this gracious promise. Jacob, I am with you, and I will protect you, and I will be with you wherever you go, and I will bring you back because I'm not finished with you. We're going to pause pause in the reading of this for a moment just to think about what his response is going to be. What's Jacob going to say to this? Can you imagine what's going through his mind? He's dreaming. He's, he's seeing this. Can, can you imagine what his response is going to be? We've never seen him respond to the Lord before. We've never seen him interact with the Lord. But the question for us today is not just what's on the page here, not just what is Jacob's response going to be, but the question is what, what is our response? What is our response when, when, when we hear from the Lord, when we open the Bible and read it? What, how do we respond to it? The, the, the Lord is speaking to Jacob in this dream. And the Lord speaks to us in the preaching of His Word every Sunday. And how do we respond? How do I respond to what God says? Do, does it go in one ear and out the other? You know, so that I can't remember it when I've, when I've left? Or perhaps it fills up my brain and I get smarter week after week and I learn more factoids and I, and I get things more in place, and, but it never makes it into my life. Is that, is that my response? Is that your response? So as we're, as we're questioning here about Jacob's own response, what's he going to say? What are we going to say? What are we going to do to what the Lord has for us from His Word? And so our concern as we're looking through this passage today is not primarily about Jacob's spiritual condition. It's about ours. When we encounter God's Word, that ought to be one of our questions, one of our thoughts. What does this say about me? 
he's having this dream and you're hearing this sermon right now, what will be our response? So that's the question. Number three, what about my response? We see these great words that have been spoken. We see this vision, this ladder, all that Jacob has seen. And indeed, he is awestruck. Look at verse 16. Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He wakes up and the first first thing he notices is that he had not been aware of God's presence there. Verse 17, and he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob, having seen this, is made aware of his former ignorance. I didn't even know. I didn't even know the reality of God's presence. He was unaware, and so he becomes afraid. And by the way, biblically, that is the the typical response when we are made aware of God's presence. There There is an initial understanding that He is God Almighty, all powerful and glorious, holy and pure. And evil can't remain in His presence. And and I'm in His presence. And so He becomes afraid. And He, through this process, seems to... It's like we're watching an awakening. He's becoming more and more aware of the magnitude of this encounter with God, that He is awestruck. And folks, I think you and I can, uh, can blow through that all too easily. That we who have read God's Word, and we've sat through perhaps hundreds of sermons, that we have conversations about the Lord all the time, we go to Bible study, that, that it can, we can lose that sense of awe. And I think this passage here would draw us back to the reality of what it means that we are dealing with Almighty God Himself, our Creator. That there is no one and nothing greater than Him, no one and nothing more important than Him. That we are dealing with Almighty God. It should make us aware of how small we are. When you look at the moon and the, and the, and the stars, you're made aware of how small you are. And they are nothing in the hand of the Lord. He holds them like this. Jacob is becoming aware. He's, he's awakening to that fact even as he wakes up from this dream that he is in the presence of God. And so you see his response here in verses 18 and 19. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on top of it and he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. So you see, his response is not just awe in his heart, not just a thought in the middle of the night, wow, that was really powerful. Not just a momentary uh, waking up from the dream and his heart's beating, and he's like, wow, yeah, I, really, I kind of need to get over that vision. I need, to, I need to move on. I need to get back to normal. Now, as soon as he wakes up, he responds, and he consecrates this place. 
He takes this stone that he had been using as a, as a, as a pillow. He had rested his head against it. He stands it up as a standing stone. It's a, it's a monument now because this place is special. He anoints it with oil, indicating this is a special spiritual place. And he changes the name to Bethel, house of God. Because this, this is unique. There is something wonderful and special and magnificent in this place. He responds to it, but he's not done responding. We see in verse 20, then Jacob, having consecrated the place, made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. His response is not only to respond with this emotional thing in the middle of the night with his fear and this wonder, but also he consecrates the place, and beyond that, he makes a vow. Now, you might be thinking and reading this that you're familiar with Jacob, and you know that he's a, a wheeler and a dealer, and maybe he's trying to make a bargain with God. Maybe he's trying to sweeten the pot a little bit that, yeah, Lord, you said you'd take care of me, but what about all the food and all the clothing I need? What about all the riches? What about adding to it? But I don't think that's what he's doing. A vow is a, is a normal response in this time. In fact, the law of the Lord permitted and even governed vows that, yes, they were okay at times to make those vows. You were just to keep those vows. For example, we have, we have Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and she, she was barren, and she wanted a baby, and she made a vow that, Lord, if you give me a baby, I will give him to you. The vows, vows are not bad things, and I don't think his vow here is bad at all. He says, basically, Lord, if, if you will indeed do those things that you said, and I don't think he's questioning whether God would. He's just saying, okay, Lord, you've promised me this, so you do this, be with me. Protect me in all I'm about to do and provide for me, and here's my response. Here will be my response to your promise. Here will be my response to your blessing, your work in my life. I will, number one, I will take the Lord as my God. I will commit myself to Him. This is not just my Father's God. He's my God. Secondly, I will make this place God's house. And thirdly, I will give a, a full tithe of everything that I have to the Lord. He's committing himself. He's responding to what God has done. I don't think he's trying to twist God's arm in any way. And in fact, this same vow is going to be referenced again in chapter 31 and chapter 35. This is important. This is momentous. This is like, this is a very powerful expression of, of, of an awakening faith on Jacob's part. This is his response of faith and his response of worship to what he has seen. And so, what a, powerful, what a powerful thing he has done here in responding in such a way, not just some whispered words in the middle of the night, not just uh, making a statement or praying a prayer or, or doing something. He has, he's responding with all that he is. Jacob, who's been a trickster and a shyster, is willing to give up a tenth of all that God gives him. And so, 
we ask questions, we have concerns here about Jacob, and we see that God is at work in him, that, that he is growing and he is developing. And this is, we have this image and we have the blessing being passed on so that now we're not talking about Jacob the question mark. Jacob is the one who has actually intentionally received his father's blessing, and he has received the blessing from God Almighty. Now, Jacob is the next patriarch. The blessing has moved Abraham to Isaac, and now to Jacob we know. He's seen this vision. He's seen this ladder. He's heard these words from God. So what are we to take away from this chapter? Well, there are many things we could take away, but there's a fourth question we need to ask. What about a mediator? What about a mediator? If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. A number of years ago, we were doing a Sunday school class working through the Gospel of John, and we got to John chapter 1, and we were struck by, I was struck by, this passage. John chapter 1. Again, the question is, what does Genesis 28 mean? What are we to take away from it? Are we to take away an example of a man coming to faith? Yeah, I don't think that's primarily what we're to take away. Uh, we're, we're to learn that the blessing is now passed on intentionally to Jacob, but Jacob is the new patriarch. We are to learn that. But I don't think that's the main thing. I think there's something greater. I think there's something more important in this passage, and I think that's exactly what we're learning in John chapter 1. And so, you've got your Bible open there, John chapter 1. I want to read, uh, starting in verse 47, <clears throat> Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. And said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Verse 51, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here we have Genesis chapter 28 being referred to in this New Testament passage. Jesus is calling to mind a story they would have known very well, a story that we know. If you've been to Sunday school, if you grew up in Sunday school, if you've read a children's Bible, or if you've heard 10 Bible stories in your life, this is one of them. And Jesus is, is commenting to, to Nathaniel. We don't know, uh, and it's not our purpose to dig into what all he was talking about there, but Nathaniel is amazed at the Lord's vision, that the, that the Lord understood him and knew him and knew something about him. And so Nathanael responds in faith, and he says, you, you're, the, you're the Son of God. You're the, you're the King of Israel. There's something special about you. Nathanael responds in faith immediately, but, but it's Jesus' words here that are so powerful. You're going to see greater things than these. You will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
What's Jesus' point? He's going back to that story that we just read in Genesis 28, that, that dream that Jacob had where he saw the ladder, the means of accessing heaven, the means of going between heaven and earth, the means of being in God's presence, the means of God working on this earth, the, the, very, the, the very way of accessing God, a, a mediator, Jesus calls to mind that story and even the language that he uses when he said, you will see heaven opened. Being good Jewish men, they were probably scanning through the Old Testament all those times, heaven is opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending, and they all landed immediately. They knew the key words. They knew what he was talking about. And they flashed back to Genesis chapter 28, and they remembered their own class. They remembered memorizing that. They remembered lessons being taught on that. And they remembered the vision of this, this ladder, this stairway that goes between heaven and earth, and you got the messengers of God going back and forth right there. And then Jesus concludes with words they didn't expect. Perhaps Nathaniel was expecting Jesus to say, you'll see heaven opened, the angels of God ascending and descending on that ladder. You're going to have a vision that is just as glorious and just as wonderful as the one that Jacob had. You're, you're going to have this special encounter where you see this picture. It's going to be opened up to you, and you're going to... You're, that's probably what they were expecting. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the heavens will be open. You're going to see it. And you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. On me, Jesus says. I am the ladder. I am the mediator between God and man, says Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life, he will say later in John. I am, says Jesus. It's a recurring message in the Gospel of John. That Jesus is that mediator, that way of getting to heaven. Jesus is the one who, who makes it so that Almighty God in His infinite glory and wonder and majesty and power and, and holiness, in whose presence we ought to be fried to a crisp or driven to outer darkness, Jesus is the one who stands between us and Him, making a way between us and Him. The ladder is Jesus. The way to and from is Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the one who has borne the, the wrath of that Almighty God, the wrath for our sin, borne it in Himself on the tree bearing the, the full extent of God's wrath for my sin, which was quite an extent, taking it upon Himself, bearing it all the way so that it's gone towards me. There is no wrath left for me. There's no wrath left towards me. It is ex expended entirely, fully, and completely for me in Christ Himself. And so my sin is taken away, that barrier between, between me and Almighty God, that, that barrier of my sin is taken away, but in order to be in God's presence, He's righteous. We must not only not have filth, 
we must be righteous as well. And Jesus is righteous as well. In his life of obedience, he fulfilled that. He himself has full righteousness to give to me by faith, to declare it on my account by faith, so that Almighty God in his unimaginable power and beauty and and wonder and holiness and, and wrath for sin is entirely appeased for me. How? By means of the latter. By means of the one who is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. Jesus Himself is my way to the Father. Jesus Himself is, is the mediator between me and holy God. And so that moment, and we need not to pass over that moment that Jacob had of awaking and being afraid. We need to recognize God is still that way when I have Christ. There's a ladder and He's mine. And so I I know a greater peace because I recognize God for who He is and I glory in Jesus, my ladder. Jesus, the one who is my mediator and gives me access to the Father. So there's an implication here. And that implication is that Jesus Himself is that ladder. And we need to remember, even when you're thinking later on, even as you're telling your kids or your grandkids about this story of Jacob's ladder, don't leave it there. Don't leave it there. It gives the idea that there's, that there's a way for us to climb up to God or something like that, or maybe it's in a faraway land or something. Come to John chapter 1 and see that it is Jesus who is that way. So, Jacob responded. He responded in worship. He responded in in awe to God. How will we respond? What's our application? First, look to Jesus as your ladder. There is no other way. Jesus did indeed say, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way for sinful man to have access to almighty, holy God but by means of the mediator. Don't try to climb your way to God by some works or by some rituals or by your own righteousness. Don't try to slip in some back way because you've grown up in church or, or anything like that. Don't, don't look to some mystical kind of spirituality so that you can have the right feeling. Look by faith to Jesus Christ and Him alone and you will have access to our Father and peace with Him. Secondly, take the opportunities that you have to share with others how they too can have access to God. Jacob woke up and he said, the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. And he was afraid. And the world is spinning around us and the the Lord is in this place and they don't even know it. And they need to know it. They need to be made aware of His presence. They need to know that He exists 
and what he's like and that he is indeed someone they will deal with. They need to understand his, his, his might, his wonder, that, that we are responsible to him, that he is holy. He has every right to judge us for our sin. They need to be made aware of that. And then, as they begin to look for a ladder, as they begin to look for a way to have peace with this God, you proclaim Christ to them, that Jesus is that ladder, that they also can have access to God through Christ who is the way. Take that message of that ladder. Take that message of our mediator to a world around us that is taking a nap and is unaware that the time will come when they will have to answer to this God, the one they've ignored. So take those opportunities to point them to Christ. Thirdly, take comfort. Take comfort. God told Jacob, I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. I'm not finished with you yet. And so he committed himself to taking care of Jacob as Jacob was going away and doing all the things that he is doing. And I'm reminded of a New Testament promise for every Christian. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you need something else to go with you? Do you need some other protection? Do you need some other comfort? Do you need some other strengthening or some other help than God Himself? No, you don't. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so the author to the Hebrews continues, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The courage we ought to have, the comfort that we ought to have because of the very presence of God our Savior. Christ Jesus Himself has brought us to the Father. What a comfort. He says He will not leave us. He's not finished. We have God's very presence in Christ. His Holy Spirit dwells within us. And as Jacob was leaving the promised land and it was uncertain whether he would be leaving the protection of God behind, God met him on his way to pass on the promises previously given to his grandfather, previously given to his father to pass them on to him and not only pass them on, but actually improve upon them to him. Christian, the promises God has made to us do not come to us in audible form, We don't expect a dream like he had. We're not going to hear from God in audible form, but they come to us in the sure and certain words of our Savior that we see written in John 16 in verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Or in Matthew 28 and verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Says our Jesus to us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And all those blessings flow to us in Christ Jesus, our mediator, who is prefigured in this Genesis 28 chapter in vivid and very comforting dream uh, to Jacob, but communicated to us, given to him all those years ago and ours even now in Jesus himself. May the Joy and the trust that that dream inspired in the patriarch pale in comparison 
to the full understanding that you and I have of Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we have been dealing with events that took place thousands of years ago. In these words you spoke to Jacob, in this dream you gave him, and the way that you worked in his life, and far be it from us to leave it on the page. Far be it from us to leave it in history. He responded to your word. How will we respond to your word? May we respond in faith. May we respond by running to that ladder, Jesus our Lord, by whom we have access to you. I pray that there wouldn't be a person in this room who has not done so. I pray that you would work in the hearts of everyone here, that we would look to that ladder, that we would look to Jesus, and in Him know what it is to have peace with you in Him. And Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts so that we would have compassion for a world around us that's sleeping, is not even aware of your presence, not even aware of the reality of who you are, and that one day they will stand before you and they will give an account. They don't even know it. Give us boldness and courage, knowing that as we go, even though someone might say mean things to us and others might not listen to what we have to say, that we have you as our helper. What can man do to us? And so, Father, we... We rejoice in Jesus, our Savior. Build us up, we pray. Help us to take this message to others and see them come to you as well and work by your Spirit as we do so. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I would remind you about the uh, evening service that we have tonight. We're continuing on our discussion of covenant theology, and uh, that will be 6 o'clock. We're finished right at 7, uh, just across the way. Um, otherwise, God bless you all. There will be a family up here to pray with you, by the way, uh, at the end of service. And I will be down here, and I would love to chat with you. Uh, thank you all, and you're dismissed.